This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to The Weekly. <clears throat> so, welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly. We're recording on September 19th, 2019, and I'm joined with the Editor-in-Chief, Craig Patterson, to talk about this week's, epi- or this week's articles on Retail Insider. Thank you for joining me. Hello, everyone. Excellent. And just want to quickly note that this week's um, supporter of this podcast is Oberfeld, and we're going to be having a message from them later on in the podcast. But but to kick right off, the most popular article that kind of went through our feeds was Hermes opening up their flagship in Vancouver. Super duper exciting. It looks like there's two levels, 5,000 square feet. There's all kinds of bells and whistles and trimming, including bronze trimming on the facades. But it looks amazing. And I, I walked by there and it's just like, you know, mouth-wateringly beautiful. And the photos that we have in our article are stunning. So, Craig, do tell us a little bit about the history that Hermes has in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see the store myself. No. I'll be in Vancouver in the fall. I haven't been since it opened because it's also only just opened. And yeah, of course. <laughs> it looks amazing. And you know what I think is really neat about this is, um, so I've got a bit of a history with uh, Vancouver and I've got a bit of a history with Hermes. So um, when I was a high school student, I used to go to Vancouver. I actually coached um, hockey. I'm not joking. <laughs> People oh, who uh, all right. <laughs> who know me might be a little bit surprised with that. And uh, so we we're coaching hockey, but I used to always sneak down to downtown Vancouver. I was really curious to see stuff. So what's really neat is in the, it was the God, it was the early 1990s, about 1992. Um, there was a little Hermes shop in a store called Collections International. And the, the Hermes shop must have been like 150 square feet. It was in the back of the store. Uh, it was on Alberni Street. So basically the retail space was kind of, Tiffany is a big store. It's almost 10,000 square feet. You know, the mm. jewelry store at the corner of Burrard and Alberni of course, Street. Yes. And yeah. There was a bunch of little stores in there before. And so Hermes didn't even have like a street entrance. It was, you would go into this Collections International shop and... And there was like a little Hermes section in the back, basically. Um, you know, that's actually a story about a lot of brands in Vancouver, you know, in decades past. They weren't, you know, they didn't have these gigantic flagship stores. Usually other retailers would have a bit of a selection of a few brands here and there. And and the brands would come and go. So, you know, Hermes was kind of one of them. They had a little shop, uh, uh, you know, on Alberni Street that didn't even have, you know, signage. And then, uh, you know, eventually it moved into uh, Holt Renfrew. So, oh, yeah. and um, then in uh, 2006, just before I moved to Vancouver, because uh, I did live in the city for a time, that's where Lee, you and I met and <laughs> yeah. in Vancouver. And uh, so Hermes moved into uh, 755 Burrard Street, which is a uh, commercial building with a few fancy stores. And uh, that shop was about, I mean, it just closed because they just built that new gigantic one. I think it was about 2,300 square feet. And that includes the storage in the back. So the retail area might have been... Um, 1,700 square feet or something like that. It wasn't too big. And, uh, you know, fast forward to today, um, you know, Vancouver is now home to one of the largest, you know, Hermes stores in North America. It's got 5,000 square feet of retail space over two levels and it looks gorgeous. I mean, the staircase alone is just, you know. Oh, I know. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, yeah. What did you think of the uh, the photos? Because I don't think you've been in the store yet. Well, I've just walked by it on my way to and from work and it does look stunning. Like the, the like with all the construction, like boarding around it and stuff like that, it was quite the reveal because uh, it used to be like a bell store on the corner there. So like the way that it's like the, the you know, the white with like the, the warm colors of everything that's on the inside, it just gives that whole store, that corner, a comp- like a very sophisticated look. And when you look at the photo, like from inside like the relief that's done from 
on the staircase there stunning wood stunning it's the stairs are great like the it's like just the actual store itself and then you start looking at like they have like glass shelves to make all the the um, bags and stuff like that look like they're floating and stuff it's just very well thought out stunning store um and you know so for me it's it's a great addition especially for that corner because it's very busy across from uh, the hotel vancouver so absolutely like what but i also thought it was interesting reading through our article where there's like a selection of different things that they're offering in vancouver versus what's going on in other locations like they're having like less heavy sweaters because well obviously it's not as cold and like not having as many suede bags because that's not something you want to have in the rain in vancouver so mm-hmm. it's very cool that they're like being thoughtful that way but one of the odd things i wanted to ask your thoughts on is that they went and kind of tried to have some special pieces that are just for vancouver and they had roller skates that they went and did special prints on for Vancouver, which I was like, okay, yay. But that like, like West Coast Vancouver were like roller blades, but roller skates seemed a little bit weird to me. So I was, is that something that they come out with like a special edition of things like in Toronto and stuff? I think so. Yeah. As well? like, I was at the opening yeah. of the, the, I was at the opening of the Hermes flagship in Toronto and um, I think they're special product that they created just for that store were, was a hockey stick. Um, I'm not 100% yeah. sure oh. if it was just for Toronto, but I forget what the price was. It was either $1,700 or $3,400. It was a lot. Like, you know, it wasn't like, you know, what I would have paid for a hockey stick when I was playing or coaching. <laughs> you know, it was oh, incredibly look, expensive. A hockey stick makes sense. Like, I mean, that's a Canadian iconic sport and stuff like that, too. So, like, for Toronto, that makes sense. I'm not quite sure about the price point, but, you know, it's a special edition thing, too. So it's collectors would love it, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, roller roller skates. Um, actually, like, I haven't seen any photos, so I'm wondering if they're roller skates or roller blades. And the only reason I say that, like, when I lived in Vancouver, I used to rollerblade around the seawall. There was a time when right. I didn't have a job. You know, I, I kind of took some time off, and I used to rollerblade around Stanley Park every single day. Those were great days. Actually, I mean, a little bit bored. I think I'm having more fun now being a workaholic. But, you know, rollerblading around the seawall was something that a lot of people were doing, you know, if they weren't cycling or walking, Absolutely. right? So, you know, it's kind of a it's kind yeah. of a Vancouver thing. Um, maybe the roller skates. Have you, if any, any, any listeners are out there, um, Google, um, was it a roller, roller skate girl in Vancouver? Roller skates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like roller derbies and stuff like that. But like, I could totally see like, I don't know, like a kayaking or, or like, you know, um, like, uh, any kind of like hiking pools or something like that. That's kind of what I was more thinking of like West coast, but, but anyway, so it's, you know, good for that. It's, it looks a very awesome looking store that was done. The whole broker deal was done by CBRE. So it, it's just uh, awesome. But what was like, it was just one block over originally, yeah. right? Like it's now moved. So what's going in, what's going on with the old, yeah, that spot, old spot there? Right at the corner of Alberni street and Burrard. I was told that, um, so Richemont Group, they're a French luxury conglomerate. They actually purchased the uh, strata unit, the retail strata unit, um, specifically just that one at 755 Burrard Street. And they're going to put Cartier in there. So, oh, yeah, Cartier, Cartier yeah. is currently at, uh, it's 456 uh, Howe Street. So it's just south right. of uh, West Hastings Street, uh, which is, you know, kind of an upscale area, which has kind of seen better days, to be honest. I mean, uh, the mm. Alberni Street yeah. luxury zone has really come ahead as being sort of, you know, the fancy shopping the area place to be. absolutely yeah for yeah. the high-end brands anyways right and you know at one time you know chanel actually did have a store up on um, at the corner of uh, hastings and hornby street mm. oh. uh, across oh, from yes. the vancouver club 
Yes, right. And, and that's kind of the neighborhood of uh, Lorraine, Lorraine, or sorry, Leone. Leone is the name I was trying yep. to come up with. And Burks. And like, that's kind of that, that feel. And it makes sense, especially Vancouver Club and stuff like that's kind of well the, where the well-heeled folks typically are lingering, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that originally was kind of going to be the luxury area. Again, going back to when I was in high school, which was, you know, in the early 90s, uh, you know, Cartier did have a little shop. It was a, a franchise shop right at the corner of Howe Street and uh, West Hastings, right across from Leone and Plaza Escada. So Escada did move years ago oh, over yeah. to uh, the corner of Thurlow and Alberni. And, yes. um, which is that now was the across, it's now across from like um, Burberry and Versace and now across from like Prada and stuff like that, like that neck of the woods. It was, I remember that being odd being there. Now it's clustered with the rest of them. So that's good for the Scotta. Yeah, yeah. Burberry was a bit of a trailblazer and Escada because there was no other luxury stores around there. The, the yeah. Shangri-La Hotel was pretty new. But the old uh, Plaza Escada, it was actually the largest in the world for a while. It was at the corner of Granville and uh, West Hastings Street in the Sinclair Center. So um, you know, that store was gigantic. It was gorgeous. I mean, it had a giant staircase in the middle. Escada, you know, is, is it Spanish for staircase or it's another language? Anyway. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, beautiful, beautiful store. It had a St. John area and a few other brands that Escada once owned. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the uh, landlord, which I believe is, you know, the federal government actually, you know, uh, wanted to turn that into an immigration court. And I'm not sure what they're doing with the space. I think it might still be vacant, wow. but it was a beautiful Escada store. Yeah, it was the largest in the world. Like when I was, again, when I was yeah. a teenager going in there and uh, then they built a gigantic one in Chicago that's long gone as well so um, yeah well now you can get your passport renewed there instead so <laughs> you know, it's not quite any, as glamorous no but you know it's now giving your you know ticket to the world but <laughs> but over the past four years it looks like the company is saying that they've tripled its resell, retail space in Canada um, while it's also grown its online sales as well um, what's your thought on that from the Hermes perspective is that kind of ringing true and how's that in comparison to some of the other brands that are coming into Canada but it's actually quite common. I mean, yeah. we're seeing a lot of luxury brands now um, expanding their footprint in Canada. Huh. And, uh, you know, some of them have just entered the country and others are expanding. And I mean, there are all kinds. I mean, Balenciaga wouldn't even be the best example because it only really kind of opened its first shop at the end of 2018 in Holt Renfrew in Vancouver. And, you know, now, uh, you know, it's going to be opening at Yorkdale Shopping Center in Toronto. And there are many other examples of these brands. Um, like what I think is really, really interesting that's happening in Canada right now, and it's been happening for some brands over the last like you know five years or so is these brands are actually really paying attention to Canada and they're opening corporate stores and they're opening big world-class stores in Canada and this isn't something that we really had a lot of in the past so yeah. um, you know and we're gonna see more of it I mean there are I know a few more luxury brands that do not yet have stores in Canada that will be opening stores some will be at Yorkdale <laughs> and yeah. because Hermes actually came to Canada interestingly enough in 1976 the uh, Westwood family uh, brought the brand to Canada. So um, Whitney Westwood has a uh, put a little plug in for her. She's got Whitney Linens. Oh, it's a lovely yeah, yeah. fashion brand that uh, she designs and owns. And, you know, uh, entrepreneurial family, they brought the Hermes brand to Canada and had a little 600 square foot shop at the Hazelton Lanes uh, Shopping Centre in Toronto. And then uh, York Hanover, the landlord, eventually, I think, took it over. And they owned a lot of the shops that were in the shopping centre and, you know, expanded it a bit. And then, uh, you know, Jennifer Carter came in and, uh, you know, acquired Hermes Canada and opened a much larger store on Bloor Street in Toronto. And I yeah. think the Toronto one, the, the newest one that opened in November of 2017 was the third location on Bloor Street for Hermes. So basically, I'm just, you know, in a long winded way saying that we've seen this incredible progression in Canada from, you know, maybe luxury brands, uh, you know, having these little tiny shops in Canada to having these, you know, gigantic flagship stores, which are really putting us on the world map. 
Well, I'm kind of hearing what you're saying about like Collections International and their, you know, 150 square foot or as boutique. But when you take a look at, let's say, Holt Renfrew, which seems to have concessions for a lot of these companies as well, uh, this move to having op- like their own, you know, corporate store situation in Canada is that kind of threatening the strategy of Holt Renfrew or do you think it's more of a complement to your kind of strategy? It is a bit of a threat to Holt Renfrew because when Holt Renfrew is a landlord, it collects rent. And when a brand leaves Holt Renfrew, a very major luxury brand is about to step out of Holt Renfrew, one of the Holt Renfrew stores and open a standalone store. I don't want to say what because it's going to give away a bit of a surprise. Um, that probably, you know, Holt Renfrew would take a hit because of that, because, you know, some of these brands are doing tens of millions of dollars a year in sales. And if they're paying six or 7% of the revenue in rent to Holt Renfrew, then Holt Renfrew Holt could Renfrew. lose that revenue. Yeah. So it's quite interesting, but I think yeah. Holt Renfrew's done incredible stuff. I mean, they're kind of adopting that Selfridges model or, you know, the, you'll see a saying Debiancorp in Amsterdam or, you know, Selfridges in London, where you have these shopping stores that are actually run by the brands. So I think we talked about that in an earlier episode. And yeah, I think it's did, really, yeah. really, really smart. So I say good on Holt Renfrew. I mean, they're they're acting as a landlord and a retailer at the same time. And I think they're creating something that is really going to work in Canada in the long run, as, as long as people keep shopping and we keep getting tourists uh, coming here and shopping as well. One to your point too, you got like the 150 square foot place, like how much of Hermes could you actually be in having in there? And then if you have like a two story um, Hermes flagship that opens up, that's independent of let's say Holt Renfrew, um, then there's going to be so much more selection there. But I could also see then Holt Renfrew then not having as much traffic coming through because if you're going to spend your afternoon sitting in the private uh, second floor going through all the Hermes stuff and being treated with them that's potential less time that you could be in um, Holt Renfrew like being helped with the personal assistants that are there and that type of stuff too so again it's a different niche it seems but it's the same like group of people that are going to be kind of targeted if that makes sense that's a really good point actually I hadn't really thought about that that way yeah no absolutely i mean um whole renfrew has personal shoppers i'm assuming um i'm not one of those shoppers but i'm assuming no yeah like when you when you walk into like the uh the pacific center one in vancouver they have a whole like second floor that's just like personal shopping assistant kind of area yeah and and, i mean they'll be shopping the whole store right like you know whatever brands are downstairs oh yeah totally so it's not just hermes or something like that it would be like the any of the brands yeah so and a quick word from our sponsor, Oberfeld Snowcap, for this week's podcast. They are founded 40 years ago and is a full-service real estate and retail advisory firm that focuses on retail tenant representation, strategic planning, property, and project leasing, as well as real estate investment sales. Thank you, Oberfeld Snowcap, for this week's support, and we'll look forward to working with you more. But yeah, the other just wanted to wander through because I know that we have a couple other articles that were very popular. Um, the Brick was launching an expansion with a new flagship prototype, and it looks like it was opening up in a new spot in the West Edmonton Mall, which is amazing because I think that they've been in that mall since 1985 in phase three. But uh, but yeah, since like 1971 through to now, like the Brick has been across Canada with 5000 employees. That's like a great news story for Canadian companies. So. But yeah, so what's your thought on the brick and this new store and the announcement? Because I know you were just in Edmonton, so I thought you'd have something to say about it. 
Yeah, I actually toured the store uh, yeah. with Dean oh. Shaben. We'll give we'll give Dean Shaben a shout out. He's the leasing director with West Edmonton Mall Triple Five Group. He's awesome, by the way. I got to say that. But yeah, we toured. Uh, we did a little tour around with an uh, important person from Tiffany and Company. I won't say the name. Uh, maybe it's, I don't know if it's confidential. He was there, but uh, we did a little tour, and it's it's a neat store. I mean, it's gigantic. It's I think about fifty five thousand square feet. It takes up most of the second floor of the former. Sears anchor space at West Edmonton Mall just to kind of give people an idea and so it's a really big brick store and they brought in a few um, innovations like you know they've got iPads you can order off of and I think there's you know there's virtual reality and you know I, I guess that's innovative but you know it, other retailers have been doing this for years and uh, I mean what's what's your opinion you know of the brick and what you're seeing there well I know that they're working on bringing in virtual reality and stuff too but like for me I you know I have some pieces from um, Ikea in my house but it's more like like I, I like going and saving up my money and going to like Moe's Furniture in Vancouver, which is more of a boutique kind of thing. They do their own, like they have other locations as well, but it's like unique stuff that's in it too. So when I take a look at the brick, I kind of see that in the middle. Like they have some unique stuff too, but like when I was just out furniture shopping and I was looking at a sectional um, and all the different ways that you can configure the sectional, like, the, you know, what do you want like a chaise on the side or something like that? It would be nice to like look at like a printout to see okay here's all the different things you can take it home and plan and think about it so i see the idea of bringing in ipads for the brick is you know it makes sense but at the same time uh, as a consumer i'd rather that piece of paper so i can draw on it take it home and stuff like that as opposed to then trying to like like cram and crowd next to the salesperson with the ipad so i'm not quite sure how that's going to go like there's markets like Burberry back going back to the you know Burberry discussion and and Hermes and stuff like when I was in the flagship in London with Burberry you would kind of go into the store it's a large store but then the sales associate would kind of show you different kind of mo- like jackets and stuff on the iPad and then when you find one that you'd want to go um, try on they would literally go in the back and then come back with the actual item so that's like a good use of like technology and iPad so I'm interested to see what people are going to think of like having iPads and that kind of technology brought into a furniture store like the brick. So that's my Yeah, thought. yeah. And I mean, we read a story in August about Leon's, which would be probably the brick's biggest competitor in Canada. And they did a real tech heavy yeah. store in Coquitlam in suburban Vancouver. So, you know, I, I don't want to ever say that the brick is late to the game, but, you know, Leon's and others have certainly adopted technology and, uh, you know, are utilizing that as part of their retail experience. And there's all kinds of other retailers doing it. You know, I toured the Mech store, Mountain Equipment Co-op, um, in Toronto, you know, and they've got virtual reality where you can see what a tent would look like outside. And I mean, they don't have enough room for all the tents. And, you know, Decathlon, which uh, we also just reported on uh, Friday, yeah, of uh, one of our Friday's top stories in Retail Insider, you know, opening two more stores. And they've got virtual reality in their stores as well. And, you know, highly experiential. So, I mean, I think experiential retail is really a name of the game in terms of people coming in. And because if you think about it, you can order a lot of stuff online. I mean, you can order furniture online, I suppose, sight unseen. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I like to go look at my couch before I go and like blow $1,500, 3000 5000 whatever that's going to be. I would like to see the couch. Like, I mean, as much as like you take a look at article where it's, everything is online, I, I just can't get past that online kind of feel. And if you just order something online, it's not like Amazon where you can just get like a pair of headphones delivered. It's a, it's a couch, you know, and it's not like you can just take it back, you know, like it's a couch. So I, I like the idea of going into the brick or Ikea or whatever, like physically to look at this, at the item like that I'm going to buy. That's big. That's going to go in my house. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, sometimes you want to touch and feel things. Oh, well, and I know it's all about experience and experiential, and that's why a lot of these people are trying to do to entice people to actually come in and actually experience, as opposed to just ordering it online. Which kind of leads me to our third article, which is more around some of the experiential kind of construction and concepts that Cadillac Fairview was announcing with a major food and entertainment investment that's happening in a suburban Montreal shopping center. So Craig, like I just was wondering like where in Quebec is this and can you kind of take us through how it's like transforming this former target space into something amazing? Yeah, this is really interesting. Uh, Le Pro- CF Promenade Saint Bruno. Um, I probably obliterated that with trying to put a French accent onto it, but it's a suburban shopping center owned by Cadillac Fairview. Um, it's in suburban Montreal, um, okay. and it, it's this is really interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we're starting to see shopping center landlords really embracing this food and beverage trend, and you know, devoting a lot more space to it. So what they're doing at uh, CF Promenade Saint Bruno is creating this like culinary experience center. I mean, it's going to have, you know, indoor components. It's going to have a grocery store. It's going to have, you know, outdoor areas where they'll be able to do events and, and have, you know, gatherings uh, of, of, of people. And so I guess the whole space is about, I think, 113,000 square feet. So it's quite big. So that's big. Yeah. It will have a um, Avril Le Supermarché Santé. I've actually never been to one of those, but um, about 35,000 square feet. And they're going to have a lot of local um, suppliers. We had a list of them on here. I wasn't familiar with a lot of them, except for SAC, which is the uh, liquor store in Quebec, the government-run liquor store. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's sort of this culinary experience. We've seen uh, some of these food halls starting to already open in the greater Toronto area in some of the suburban shopping centers. And I think we're going to be seeing, well, I know we're going to be seeing a lot more. So, uh, you know, but this one apparently is, they said it would be the only one of its kind in the world in the way that it's being set up in terms of its vendors and, you know, the way the grocery component is set up and whatnot. So they're really bringing a urban experience to a suburban area i think it's really quite interesting to see in terms of the renderings i was looking i was looking at the renderings and stuff in the article and like i was trying to place where in montreal or where in quebec this was so it's interesting that's in a suburb because like when i was looking through some of the outdoor renderings like right before we have a listing of all the different um uh, items that are going to be the marsh to promenades it looks like it's an outdoor winter kind of scene where they actually have that gathering space that you're talking about but it's more like a, a christmas market mm-hmm. which makes sense like i mean uh, but you wouldn't necessarily see that maybe in an urban center like um but maybe you would but like this just feels more like um small town or you know small close-knit community feel where people would actually come out for a farmer's market with hay bales and go and like you know here's the local you know delicacy that has like sausages and stuff like that so it just seems like it's making more of a community-based kind of feel for the, the the community to be able to like not only sell their wares but also to you know have like that discussion and camaraderie and that community so I think that's awesome if that's kind of the, the direction that Cadillac Fairview is going because that, that just it tries to engender people coming to the mall and making it part of the whole experience too as opposed to just doing the online. Absolutely, yeah. And what I think is really interesting, I'm working on the Retail Council of Canada Shopping Centre Study and uh, you know, last year we really focused on how shopping centres are becoming communities and gathering places for people. And I mean, I know that's traditionally been, you know, what I say a downtown core was for, but uh, you know, shopping centre landlords and not even just Cadillac Fairview, I'd say all of them are doing this is they're creating these kind of gathering places where people can come together and it isn't all just about, you know, saying buying fashion items. You know, you can go and have rest, you can go 
to restaurants, you can, you know, see a performance. Uh, now we're seeing a lot more movie theaters uh, moving into shopping centers. Like you're just at Park Royal, you know, they got a new, uh, v it's a VIP Cineplex, I think. And uh, we're seeing this a lot. So, um, you know, I'd say stay tuned. I mean, our shopping center landlords in Canada, we've got some real world-class landlords that are doing really innovative things. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, our best shopping centers are in line with anything that would be, you know, the best in the United States. So uh, this fall, we'll be releasing a study with Retail Council of Canada. Um, we're actually welcoming um, paid editorial if anyone's interested in getting some exposure because this will get, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of impressions. I'm just going to throw that out there as a little plug. But if anybody is interested in being featured in the Retail Council of Canada Shopping Centre study, contact Craig Patterson at craig at retail-insider.com. Excellent. Well, and I think those are the main articles that we had going on in the brief, or not the brief, in the actual week that was um, well-read. But is there any kind of news from around the web that you curate nightly that we send out in our newsletter and it's very well read. Is there any items there that you thought was interesting that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, I want to bring up one. Um, Tim Hortons. I mean, it's not traditional retail that we'd always usually report on specifically, but um, they brought in the Beyond Meat Burger, I think is what it's called. Oh, yeah. And mm, they've just, so I had, I've had a few of them. At, like, I don't, what's funny is I hadn't eaten at Tim Hortons, and I'm not joking. It was probably was in a decade. And uh, I have since gone in twice and had Beyond Meat Burgers. And so they just announced that they are dropping Beyond Meat Burgers in all provinces except for British Columbia and Ontario. So you and I are safe. Oh. We can still go and get it. Yes, we can still. Mm, yum. <laughs> well, like it's it's interesting because Beyond like Beyond uh, Meat, it's based out of Los Angeles and it was founded in 2009 by Ethan Brown. And literally it has a whole bunch of vegan safe um, kind of substitute. It's usually a mixture of like uh, pea protein isolates and a bunch of other things too. But they not only do the burgers, but they also are doing like pork sausage replacements and all that type of stuff too. One of their competitors is uh, um, Light Life, which is also um, available in like Save on Foods and stuff like that here. It's literally their side by side. Um, but uh, yeah, no, um, like when you take a look at Beyond Meat, it, you can't tell. It it looks like meat. It bleeds like meat, except that's like, you know, probably, you know, beet juice as opposed to it, it, you just can't tell. So it's it's very great that they're trying this kind of thing out in the different kinds of uh, the different markets. And yeah, it's a limited time offered because they're just testing it out. And probably the folks like myself in urban centers like Vancouver, it made sense. And then in Toronto, there's probably a demand for it. Um, but literally, like when you take a look at Cineplex and their VIP cinemas and stuff, they offer Beyond Meat patties as a substitute for any of their burgers at no at no additional upcharge. So like you, it's available ev like pretty much everywhere that you can go in Vancouver. And it's a it tastes like meat, it looks like meat, and you don't even miss it. So why would you go down the the route of an actual beef patty if you can uh, have this alternative? So yeah. but. You know, especially if it's the same cost. So for me, it's not like I, I have a big moral thing against it, but it's, you know, for me, it's, uh, um, that's kind of the route. So I was, it, that's kind of an interesting announcement. So yeah, well, I mean, what's also interesting, I mean, two things, number one, Tim Hortons getting into the burger business. I mean, I don't, you know, I think, I don't know if Tim Hortons ever has ever had, you know, a quote unquote hamburger before. So there may have been a bit of a confusion, I think with the brand, I mean, maybe it's known for breakfast sandwiches. It's certainly known for donuts and coffee and, you know, sandwiches and yeah, whatnot. Exactly. And I guess Tim Hortons has kind of expanded off, you know, and, you know grown its uh, 
you know, offerings and whatnot. But, um, you know, bringing in the hamburger, I'm not sure. Like, and it's funny because I didn't, you know, Tim Hortons was much closer to me in Toronto than A&W. So that's where I tried my first Beyond Meat burger was at a Tim Hortons. And well, to me, I mind, don't <laughs> Keep in mind, though, that uh, Tim Hortons also merged with Burger King in 2014. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's right. Yeah, I mean, the location close to me doesn't have one, but that's right. Of course, yeah. I mean, there was there was a major buyout. Uh, one one thing that I think is in well, there's a couple more oh, things. Oh, and, I mean, and Wendy's back in 1992. So you can't like usually you see like stores of like Wendy's on one side and Tim Hortons on the other. So like you know, so that's been associated. But normally, like I would make sense that Tim Hortons wouldn't necessarily have a burger because literally right on the other side of the same room is Wendy's that has burgers. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be like I don't know like I know um, I won't name a name but she works with us and you know she's vegan and I know she takes B12 um, injections supplements yeah supplements yeah and uh, um, so I mean as humans do we have to eat some meat to get B12 I don't no. know maybe that's for like it's okay then I didn't know the answer because one thing about no. the Beyond Meat burger apparently is the sodium content is through the roof uh, compared oh, wow. to meat really? so yeah, yeah. Look that up. Um, I mean, not to not to badmouth. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of you know not eating meat generally. I mean, I, I think that you know the cattle industry is creating an incredible amount of pollution. Sorry, cattle farmers. I just spoke out against you. But uh, the sodium content in Beyond Meat apparently is just astronomical uh, compared to you know the alternative, which would be actual meat. So you know, there's always trade-offs somewhere, and nothing's perfect. And you know, if a person has any issues with sodium, they probably shouldn't be eating this stuff uh, extensively. You'd have like I think A and W had it, and they Dunkin' Donuts tried it out. Tesco in the UK, um, and of course um, Tim uh, Tim Hortons did. Um, so yeah, like I mean, it's definitely out there and around, and and they have pork sausage, and they're you know going even further. I think like Hell Pizza was using the fake burgers in their or fake meat in their burgers as well. KFC was testing out Beyond um, Fried Chicken at one point, so. Huh. We'll see how that goes. I'd be curious to try the chicken. That's interesting. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's lots of different things. I only can see like beyond beef patties here. So, um, in like save on foods and, um, so bees and stuff like that. So, yeah, but yeah, but uh, any other, I think that was pretty much the news from around the web. That was kind of interesting. Uh, but thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Craig, for being able to sit and chat with me about like Hermes was amazing. The Brick, congratulations again. Calic Fairview, that's an amazing investment announcement. And Beyond Burger, go baby go. So <laughs> I'm hungry now. One, please remember to hit subscribe and rate us five stars to try to get the word out. Thank you very much and see you again next week. Thank you so much, everyone. All right. Bye, everyone.